Well, good morning. Nice to see you. This is the third part in a series which is entitled Living in the Spirit, focusing on the fruit of the Spirit. Um, And if you haven't been in either of the other two talks, I'll just give you a quick summary. It's basically three pieces of a jigsaw that need to be seen together because they all fit together. There are three consecutive passages I'm preaching on from Galatians 5 and 6 where Paul develops a very, very clear statement, an argument, a foundational argument really about what it means to both be saved and also to live an effective Christian life. It's the most coherent and simple statement in the whole New Testament of what this process really means in practice. And in our first talk uh, two weeks ago, we looked at the fact that he was speaking to the Galatian church, and just very briefly to summarise this for you, when he was speaking to them, he had preached a very, very simple message to them. Justification by faith alone. Believe in Jesus. He's died for you. Um, he rose again for you. You need to put your trust in him, hand your life over to him. But people had come in after him. He'd gone away. They'd come in. They preached a different message saying Christianity is mostly about rules and regulations. And he refuted that very, very clearly saying it's not ultimately about rules and regulations, it's about a living relationship with God and justification by faith alone. So that was the talk two weeks ago, and that begs a question. It's all very well believing that uh, you have been saved by faith, but then how should you live your life? And some people draw the uh, conclusion, I've been saved by faith, I can go and do whatever I like. And Paul said, no, 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 no. It's a bit more sophisticated than that because there's something in you that inclines you to be incredibly selfish. That's just the way human nature is. And even if you've been, become a believer, you can still have a sense of doing your own thing. Living for yourself, living independently, not living in community, not living following God in any conscious sense. And what he said, which we recounted last week, is he said, what you need to realise is the spirit who's been given to you isn't just... Um, relating to past events, the spirit who's in you is actually wanting to guide you through life on a daily basis from now onwards every single day of your life. And Paul said, how about living by the spirit? How about being led by the spirit? How about keeping in step with the Holy Spirit in your life? And so last week I tried to describe how that process actually works. Right, that's two talks summarized in 3.1 minutes. Okay, but you just need to be clear about that, just because we're on a roll. We're on Paul's roll of argument, and the great mistake with Scripture is to take a piece out of context and you get the wrong idea of what it's about. So the context is he's built up this argument. Then he comes in the third and final section to a very, very challenging implication of the way he's been talking. He basically comes to the situation where he's saying, okay, You're living in community. You're a living church. You've decided that you're not going to make it rules and regulations and start criticizing each other if you don't quite live up to a certain mark or certain cultural standard like the Jews tended to do. said, okay, that's good. You've decided that you want to live by the Spirit. So as a community, you are inviting the presence of the Holy Spirit into your life on a daily basis. You're doing it corporately on Sundays when you gather together like we've been done doing under the leadership of our musicians in Phil and Dave this morning. And then he comes to a very interesting point. But still, how do you handle the situation where people go a bit off the rails? Now, it's tricky because you can't throw the rule book at them because you've just thrown the rule book mentality out. And in most institutions, if people go a little bit off the rails, you just get the rule book out. 
say, hey, rule 74 says this. And he said, in the Christian community, it's more gracious and subtle than that. But people will, in churches, make mistakes, make a fool of themselves, fall into sin, stumble in life in various different ways. So how do we help each other on that journey? Now, I think you'll agree it's a rather important question. And the culture generally in a lot of modern churches is either they're very traditional, full of rules, or alternatively, they're very laid back and individualistic and cool and you never challenge anyone on anything because it's just not cool to do that because basically each guy can go and do whatever he wants and they just come to church whenever they like and they, it's like a touchy-feely kind of situation. You just connect how you feel and it doesn't really matter what you do because it's up to you. You live your own life, you're accountable to God and that's about it. Do you understand what I mean? Paul cuts through that with a different path. Not a rule book mentality, not a free-for-all mentality, but a committed community mentality around the Lordship of Christ, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and a profound commitment to one another. And that's a story of the text we're going to look at this morning. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. We're going to bring up on the screen uh, this text in two parts. I'm just going to speak on the first six verses for a few moments and then we'll look at the second a few minutes later uh, in this brief talk and just try and introduce you to some of Paul's ideas. So you've got the context and so Paul, having got that context in mind, Paul says, right, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ, if anyone thinks there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. But each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Let's go back to the beginning. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. How do you do that? I had a crash course in the truth of this verse, age 20. Here's what happened. I was discipling a young Christian man at university, helping him in the context of a Christian union. We attended the same church. He was following the Christian way and he lived the same accommodation block that I lived in. We were good friends. He was a very young Christian, but he was quite sincere. And uh, we met fairly, recent, re re fairly often. So one day I just went over to his room just to go and see him 
uh, just to ask him a question. Uh, we'll call him Joe for the sake of this illustration. So I, I knocked on Joe's door and uh, it was unlocked, so I went in and found that he was in bed with his girlfriend. I beat a hasty retreat at that point. This is a scene that's every day in universities. But it's contrary to Christian ethics, and he knew that. I also knew the girl, a fellow student, who wasn't committed in the Christian way. The question is, what do you do next? Two dangers. One is to say, oh, I never saw anything. Everyone lives their own way. It's up to them. It's really nothing to do with me. These one's got to find their own way. It doesn't really matter. It's a secondary thing. They're learning the way. It doesn't really matter. Well, they look at the Bible and it's not quite simple as that. Sexual ethics really do matter. Another way is to say, oh, there's a rule book. Get really angry and throw the rule book at your friend and say, look, look what you've done. So I went away thinking, right, what am I going to do? I'm not particularly experienced in this area. I was a young Christian myself. And it says here, you might be tempted in the same way. I thought, well, actually, that's true. I don't want to be proud in this area. So I thought, well, I'll just I'll wait for a day or two. So there I am in my room. Knock on the door. In comes Jane. Followed by his girlfriend. I thought, this could be tricky. (laughs) And amazingly, they said to me, we know it's wrong. We really want to change. She said, I know he's a Christian. He should be following Christ. And I, you know, I shouldn't be taking him down this road. I said, okay. I I said, you know, I'm, I'm not ruling your life, but, you know, I didn't have any authority, actually, at all, really. (laughs) And he changed his life. I hardly said anything. But I know I could have made two mistakes then. Number one, turn a blind eye. Everyone does it, it doesn't really matter. That's an unbiblical approach to a very important issue. We don't have any excuse for doing that. Secondly, I could have thrown a rule book at him. Paul's just told me I can't do that. And Paul's also just telling me here, hang on a minute... Don't exercise authority over people from a sense of superiority and pride and spiritual pride. He said, that is a very great danger. We're all in the same boat. It's very, very important to remember. We're all in the same boat. Actually, we're all there to help each other. It could be me who's drifting the next day and someone needs to pull me up because I'm drifting uh, in another way. Anyway, our our friendship survived. Uh, He continued along his faith. And the issue was resolved. These are, that's just an example. But it just came to mind as soon as I read this. Because at the time I was ill-equipped to consider how do I actually help a friend who's struggling in a certain area. Could have been another part of his life. A gentle approach needs to be taken based on humility and truth. Some churches are collections of individuals who are basically entirely independent. They do their own thing. They just come together for the social benefit and the worship experience and whatever else they want. 
But our understanding of a church is it's a committed community. And people express that commitment here by baptism and membership. Those who have expressed that commitment are expressing a willingness to have an accountability for the ongoing development of their spiritual life. That's roughly akin to what Paul had in mind in the church in Galatia. Moving on, verse 2, carry each other's burdens and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. He probably had in mind with the law of Christ when Christ said to love one another as I have loved you, John 13, verse 34. That's probably the reference that Paul had in mind. Carry each other's burdens. In the journey of life, we stumble, don't we? We might stumble through circumstances really outside our control. Our health, finances, something terrible happens in our life. We might stumble because we make a mistake. And Paul said, along the journey of life, in a mature Christian community, as there is stumbling, people struggling for one reason or another, and this is really challenging, there is a responsibility of the community to help that person stumbling. But guess what? We don't always want to help people stumbling, do you? I'll give you an example. Sorry, it's another mountaineering example, which I used one last week. Six years ago, I joined the Atlas Mountains. I didn't know anyone. It was about 14 people in the group. I didn't know anyone when I joined. 14 random people. You know what that's like being in a group? It's entirely random. You don't know who you're going to meet. Mostly young and fit and very athletic and a few older people like me. And in the two or three days before we reached the summit, we, we used to socialise a lot in the evening. And do you know what happens in a random group when you, you get together? Some people pop up in the middle of the group and you can see they're going to be the smart aleck, the, the centre of attention, the joker. You know those sort of people who appear in a group? We had one of those. I'll call him Pete. Not his true name. So we're heading up and every evening, we're halfway up the mountain, we, we stay in these little lodges or camping, whatever. And every evening Pete's got a story about his life. Didn't take a great liking to me when he found out I was a Christian. A lot of stories about drinking and smart life in London, crazy things he'd done, extreme political opinions. He basically started irritating everybody. Ever, ever met anyone like that? They think they're incredibly funny, but everyone finds them extremely irritating. Ever met people like that? sure they don't exist in our community, but out there in the wider world, there's one or two. Laugh at all their own jokes, you know, that sort of thing. Anyway, especially with a couple of beers, he was on a roll in the evening. Anyway, time went on, we got to the summit, we're just coming down off the summit, and Pete had a monumental fall. He slipped on a rock, and this smart Alec Alec, full of himself, full of self-confidence, suddenly collapsed into a nervous wreck. Thought he'd broken his ankle. The guy gathers around him, tries to help him. And some of us attempted just to walk on, carry on down the mountain. We've just summited and it's happening behind us and the temptation is just carry on and pretend you haven't noticed. Ever done that in life? (laughs) And I was one of those because he wasn't floating my boat in all the social communication, to be honest, because... Some of the jokes were aimed at me and all things religious and Christianity, which he had a particular dislike of. And the dislike seemed to increase with alcohol and so on. Anyway, there he is, prostrate on the floor, 
just a couple of hundred meters off the summit of the highest mountain in North Africa. And the guide, the Arab guide, turns to the group and says, okay, let's take Pete's rucksack and let's take all the things out of his rucksack and we're going to share them around. Oh. I'm going to be carrying his burden. The guide will, the guide will hold his hand, as it were, just to see how strong his leg is. And he needs a couple of poles. He didn't bring any poles because he's too smart for that. But when you're going down mountains and you're not very steady on your feet, they're very useful. So someone had to give up their poles. You know those mountain sticks, those funny little sticks you have coming down mountains? <coughs> Quite useful coming downhill if your knees aren't too good. And his knees weren't that good by the look of them. And so I found in my rucksack some of Pete's stuff. Now I pl- and my rucksack was virtually full already. And the other people were saying, oh, well, it, you know. <laughs> anyway, we were carrying his burden. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought how selfish I was in my attitude. Unfortunately, he hadn't broken his ankle, strained his but he had strained it. He was pretty slow down the mountain, but we got safely down to the next camp, the refuge that we were staying in. And uh, then he was a changed man. Incredibly grateful for this wonderful group of friends that he just met on the mountain. Some of them, come and stay with me in London. You can do whatever you like. You know, uh, he invited me to come and stay in his house in London. I haven't yet taken him up on the offer. But... <laughs> You know, when you're involved in a community activity or a community fellowship or a community life, what happens to the person next to you is far more important than if you're just a little individual person or family who just connects with those people just by circumstance. You just happen to be sitting next to them. And in that moment, we were a community. And the culture of that community is whoever stumbles and falls, the others need to help according to what the guide requires. So we had a wonderful evening the next night. He got down, the beer flowed again, the stories came out, but it was just a lot more pleasant because he was full of gratitude that he was part of a community. But bearing one another's burdens can be challenging financially sometimes, health, relationally, depression, some particular things that people do wrong that are very painful, but you're trying to help them on the right track. But Paul says the biblical way is carry one another's burdens. Don't just walk past them on the road. I find that continually challenging but also very exciting. And then we take appropriate responsibility for our own life because ultimately Paul said, you know, you need to test your own actions. You need to be confident that you're on the right track and ultimately you're going to carry your own pack, your own load. So the amazing thing about this particular story on the mountain is the next day Pete had recovered and we still had a day or two to go down the mountain. We gave him all his stuff back. It's all back in his pack, where it should be. 
But there was a time when he couldn't carry his own pack safely. And then we need to share it around. And so it is with the Christian community. There are times when we need to help each other. Sometimes quite sacrificially. And then Paul ends this section, the one who receives instruction in the word, in other words, the one who's um, receiving help from someone else in the church, should share all good things with their instructor. Now here's an interesting other side of the coin. It's not just about helping the weak or sometimes confronting things that have gone wrong. But actually, if somebody helped you, Paul said, if somebody helped you on the Christian journey, a good role model, a good teacher, a good friend, someone who prayed for you regularly, someone who encouraged you on a Sunday, he said, if they've helped you, please tell them. It's a very, very moving thing when someone comes and says, thank you. You were such an encourager to me in my dark moments. Yesterday I finished teaching a 10-session course in Cumbria, 10 days of teaching once a month for 10 months, uh, a biblical course that I'm recording there. And an older guy came up to me at the end of the 10th session, just as I was leaving. He'd been on the course. And he said, Martin, I want you to know this. I was really nervous about about coming on this course because what you don't know about me is I'm really dyslexic. And I was really afraid of coming on a course like this. Very practical man, very skillful man, but really struggles with reading, books, learning, studying. And he'd often ask me to say words again and spell them in a way that sounded rather strange. This is a man in his 60s. And he said, I just want to thank you that despite my dyslexia, I understood most of what you said. And I, you didn't say everything. <laughs> and I can, I'm more confident to go ahead in my life and do the things that God's called me to do. Now, that was a real blessing to me because I really, not really understood what was going on with him. But he said to me at the very end, I'm dyslexic. And I didn't think I was going to make it. But I did. That was a real blessing to me. We can bless each other by just thanking those who encourage and help us. That builds the body of Christ. We can do that proactively. And I'd encourage you to do that. Let's move on to verses 7 to 10, the second half of this passage. Paul moves into the more general here. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let's not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let's do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. And he addresses here a very real temptation that is rife in the modern church. Because we're very individualistic, by culture, generally. And because sometimes community life can be challenging, there is a risk of saying, do you know what? I'm not going to bother with community life anymore. I think I'm just going to be me and God on my own. 
which theoretically you can be. He's still there. You're on your own. No doubt about that. And Paul alludes to this when he said, don't become weary in doing good. Doing good is the commitment in this context, especially to the family of believers. He actually names it at the end. He identifies this. And he's basically saying those who live and keep in step with the Spirit will not only be wanting to follow God in a very individualistic and personal sense, they'll always have in mind the community around them and they'll interpret that call in connection with other people. And he said, sometimes that's hard going, but don't become weary. Keep going. It's part of sowing in the Spirit. Living by the Spirit is, by the way, a way of life, not a five-minute wonder. So let's now come to a few conclusions in this brief talk this morning. Just put those four up on the screen. Thank you so much. Sometimes issues of sin need to be addressed in church life clearly, gently and humbly in the way that I've described. In personal relationships, discreetly in friendship. That's the primary way forward. Our top priority is to take responsibility for our own lifestyle and actions. One of the things that we always have to avoid is that situation. You ever come, come across that situation where something's always somebody else's fault? You ever notice that? If someone always defaults to it, it's somebody else's fault. Then there's something slightly faulty about their understanding of their own responsibility. Ultimately, my life is my responsibility and I can't blame other people for my actions. Paul's generic statement, a man reaps what he sows. And so the promise is for those who follow the Holy Spirit closely and attentively in their lives, there's, a, there's always going to be God's blessing coming to them. It might be in this life, it might be in eternity, it might be a bit of both, but obedience will always yield a harvest, will always bring a blessing at some time or other, even if it's hard in the moment. And Paul's concluding point, really, a lifestyle of practical goodness is the hallmark of living by the Spirit. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't speak here at all about spiritual gifts, which are really important and we believe in. But in terms of day-to-day living, the quality of our individual actions and attitudes and relationships is the biggest hallmark of living by the Spirit. Let's go back and just show that little diagram and if we could of the fruit of the Spirit just as I conclude. I used this little diagram last week. I love the fact that Paul says that the activity of the Spirit produces fruit, love, joy, peace, forbearance, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control, he mentions. But he never says you should be seeking after those things. He says you should be seeking to obey on a daily basis the leading of the Holy Spirit. Fruit will come. We become fruitful through obedience. 
And so Paul, at this point, rests his case and he brings very shortly his letter to conclusion. He has very clearly said, Christianity is not about a rule book, although we do have to obey New Testament commands, which he wasn't including in his definition of legalism, very specifically. He said we need to live by the Spirit, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And if trouble comes in relationships with sin and other issues, he gives guidelines as to how we can help each other on the journey. Now, all of us, myself included, we need help to be fruitful Christians, don't we? We need each other. So my encouragement this morning is to actively consider how you can be helpful to others in the ways described by Paul. Let's stand together and we're going to pray. Then I'll hand back to Dave and Phil. Just a moment of quietness. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let's not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we just pray this morning that it will shape us this week as we reflect on these things. We pray that you'll make us more fruitful, more filled with your spirit, more able to live for you and to live effectively in community.